my wonderful friends, welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. Uh, this is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, uh, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary. I'm pastor to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in the beautiful city of Adelaide. I'm also your Drive Time host every Tuesday and Wednesday. It's really wonderful to be able to come and to be able to share with you a week by week. Uh, look, guys, I'd really love to have you uh, come and uh, join with us. Now, look, if you've got a, a positive thought, if you've got a comment on one of the issues we discuss, if you'd simply like to say hello, uh, then please, uh, you can do that uh, through our text number. Now, uh, our text number will come directly to my desk here uh, in our Adelaide studio, and that number is 488 11. Now, look, why don't you actually program that into your phone? Put it under drive time. Then you can throw in a thought or a comment whenever you like. We really do appreciate those thoughts and comments. 04-888-808-11 is, uh, is that number. Now, this week, uh, we're looking at the theme, Radical Teachings in the Parables of Christ. Uh, and today... We're talking about the forgiving God in the parable of the unmerciful debtor. Now, you know, one of the things I'm so conscious of is that there are so many people who see Jesus Christ as being loving, kind and compassionate, but they see the Father. Uh, they're a bit reticent about the Father. He's not all that approachable. Uh, and what we're trying to do is to show through the parables that uh, uh, indeed the Father is very much uh, the same in character and personality as Jesus Christ. Him himself, and uh, uh, this is a this is an exciting an exciting week. Now today, our co-host is Pastor David Butcher. Now David is the lead pastor of the Seventh Day Adventist Church here in South Oz. Welcome to you, David. Good afternoon, Gary, and uh, it's wonderful to be back on Faith FM Drive Time. And hello, listeners. It's been a very long time since we've actually seen you. It seems you've run away from here. We hardly ever see you anymore. At least I don't see you any much anymore. Uh, that means my, I'm probably not in trouble. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, look, I think, Gary, it's been um, about mid to late May and I've been away interstate, I've been overseas, I've had COVID coming back from overseas and just been flat out. So I am really excited that I'm back on air. I really love um, uh, connecting with our listeners and opening the Word of God and um, and uh, you and I sort of uh, digging into it. It's, it's, it's a blessing. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. It's fantastic to be able to get on and talk some theology uh, on air together. Uh, I, I really appreciate your feedback and your thoughts, and uh, so long as you agree with me, I really, I really don't mind what you say. Yeah, you're a good bloke as long as I agree with you. No, look, Gary, uh, it's a pleasure to be to be back on drive time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, David, look, let's come to our World Watch segment because there is so much. I cannot believe how much is actually going on in the religious world uh, right now. Now, uh, this morning I went on to uh, Premier Christian News, which is one of the major uh, religious news sites that's based over there in the uh, UK. And I just came up with a uh, an article that had uh, hit just hit the hit the wires there that uh, uh, talking about the Church of Scotland, the Church of Scotland is considering closing 30 churches 
in a pruning spree. Now, this really, you know, I, I mean, I've certainly uh, been aware of some of the challenges that uh, uh, the churches do face from time to time. But for an organisational body to say, hey, look, you know, we're going to prune our um, smaller churches, as it turns out, uh, I, I sort of thought, hey, this is worth uh, worth chatting about. And let me read to you. It's only a short article, but just let me read it to you. The Church of Scotland is meeting in September to decide the fate of more than 30 churches. The Presbytery, that's the organisational body, meeting will focus on streamlining ministry. They would likely see up to 31 church buildings and seven manses released from the kirk. Congregations, many of which are already dwindling, will be combined with worshippers at other churches nearby. The list of churches across Inverness and West Moray, uh, Reverend Mike uh, Robinson uh, uh, said, uh, said this, uh, the task uh, we are faced with is to produce a mission plan for the next five years, which ensures we'll be using our limited resources as best we can in doing it and doing it as equitably as possible. This is a draft plan, and it's still to be considered by Presbytery in September. However, change is necessary in order to deliver sustainable and realistic new expressions of ministry and church and ensure all the buildings are suitable for the needs of mission in the 21st, in the 21st century. Um, uh, we recognize, he said, that right through the presbytery, there are buildings where congregations are engaging in positive outreach work to support their communities. So we know that some of these decisions will be difficult. However, a proposed closure of a particular building is not a judgment on the congregation, but part of a mission plan for the whole of the area. Lightening the church closures to gardening, he continued. It's a pruning and reshaping to be a missional church, fit for today and fit for the future for growth. Now, when I read that particular article, David, I, I sort of thought, wow, I mean, uh, here we've got uh, uh, some uh, some very uh, brave uh, institutional uh, leaders. Now, David, look, just uh, tell me, I, I love your feedback. I mean, you're the lead pastor. You're sometimes called the, the president here of the church in, in, South, in South Australia. You know, is there ever a time, you think, when a church should be closed? Look, really good question, isn't there? There were certainly dysfunctional churches in the New Testament, weren't there? I can think of the Corinthian church. You couldn't yeah. get more dysfunctional than that. Mm. Uh, you look at the seven churches in Revelation. Uh, there were uh, some positive things, but essentially there was also some significant challenges. Mm. I mean, God tells the, through to John, the church of Laodicea, that I would, uh, you're lukewarm. I'd rather you're hot or cold. I'll spit you out. So there's some very strong messages. So churches, sadly, can be dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I guess uh, in my own experience, um, you know, there was a church that decided to close uh, mm -hmm. in, in, in the position I'm in, and um, uh, we worked with that church. Uh, this was more of a, it was a language-speaking church, and um, it was a diminishing language-speaking group, certainly in, in Adelaide, and uh, many of their, their members had moved into state, and um, they realized they were better off um, closing and moving into um, uh, you know churches that had a whole... Uh, 
range of cultures than just trying to be of the one culture. But it is very sad when a church gets to the point where they close. Now, we know demographics change. And, and that, that's one of the real questions, actually, David, because what I'm conscious of is that, you know, I'm certainly aware, and, and this is in every area. This isn't just unique to Adelaide or Sydney or, you know, it, it's right through our, uh, you know, every single, um, certainly capital city, uh, whether it's, I, I assume, through the larger country towns as well, where previously there's been uh, a large congregation and then uh, maybe, uh, you know, mining has, uh, there's been a town, a downturn, and people have moved away. Uh, possibly uh, that church hasn't been um, hasn't been that effective in evangelism. The congregation has grown old, and now the church is you know there's a lovely church building there, but it's down to you know six or eight, ten um, people who you know come along week by week by week. You know, is there ever a time when we say, hey, look, you know, there's a church just down the road, you know? Would you consider that? And we see this in a number of denominations, don't we, where some country towns right across Australia, it might be, you know, an Anglican church or a Catholic church, or sometimes they'll unite and have like an ecumenical service on a Sunday morning Mm. because their numbers are just um, diminished. In fact, one of the the country towns about 130 kilometres out of Adelaide, and this would represent other places in Australia as well, so hello to wherever you're listening to Faith FM from Mm. right across Australia, but... But um, uh, there was a, a, a couple of churches have pulled out because they're diminishing. And in fact, our own little church in this uh, in this city, this town of maybe 5,000 um, on the river, Murray, mm-hmm. uh, was diminished down to about two or three people. Mm-hmm. And uh, we sent a pastor in there and uh, he is revitalizing that through a ministry that is relevant to the community. And so we have an ADRA Adventist Development Relief Agency. We have a food pantry that is open every Wednesday. Uh, we've spent some money, the church has, on redoing its church hall into this ministry for the community. And so. So you're saying churches can be revitalized? Look, they can be. It takes energy, doesn't it, to to bring... Well, it takes energy to plant a church. It takes energy to revitalize a church. And it may take more energy to revitalize a church because what is the headset of the members that are there? Mm. Do they really want to see the church grow? Do they have the energy to see it grow? And I think it comes down to um, a couple of simple things. Often people can be more concerned about what happens inside the church as opposed Mm, to mm. what the church is doing outside. Mm. And if we have an insular focus, um, then our churches, and it doesn't matter which church, will die. Um, Yeah, many Christian churches have an innate ability to suck the evangelistic life out of new Christians. Mm. And um, they vaccinate them against evangelism, if you like. And often it's not too long before the new convert sees that they had best keep clear from the infections from the outside world and they remain in the safety of of, of the parapets of the church. Mm. And uh, they don't connect with the community because the members don't connect with the community. And it's not long before you find that the church is going through a, a cycle towards death. So the church has to be relevant. And as Christians, we believe that the Bible is the foundation for our faith. We believe it's got messages for life, but that yeah. has to be lived out. Yeah. Um, 
You know, Dave, one of the things I'm conscious of is that I'm actually, uh, myself, I'm actually quite reticent to, uh, I mean, I, I believe the Church of Scotland here is actually being incredibly brave. And I know myself, I, I'm actually quite reticent to uh, to close churches because I know, now firstly, how hard they are to start. And then secondly, I'm also conscious that uh, uh, on numerous occasions, I've actually seen churches revitalised. You know, I know, I've certainly seen my own ministry, you know, I can point to, you know, two or three churches. Churches where certainly numbers were down to you know a dozen and no more. In fact, I can well remember uh, at one church, uh, I can well remember actually hosting a meeting of the uh, of the church board, and we actually went through the finances and we said, well, look, guys, at the rate we're spending money, uh, we're actually going to be uh, uh, totally bankrupt. Uh, and we gave ourselves three years, and we said, look, you know, if this if we haven't turned this show around in three years, we're going to have no choice but to uh, in fact, uh, close the close church the because and it is we're not going to have the money to run the run the show. And so, what happened, Gary? Because if this is a church I'm thinking of, it's quite exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, look, the, the the Lord has blessed abundantly. You know, the Lord has blessed abundantly, and you know, it's certainly uh, through the hard work of uh, you know a lot of lay people at that at that particular church. And to me, uh, to actually see, and that was that's the thing that to me I think is so important. You know, a team of of lay people. If you can actually build and create a team of lay people who are able to work together, and it doesn't matter what the ministry is, uh, because you know, I have seen the Lord uh, myself, and I know. I'm preaching at you now. Now this is uh, you know, You're doing a good job. Here. This is something that, to me, as I as I've seen in ministry, the Lord is able to pick up almost any ministry. And if the people are passionate about it, then you can see the church grow. And I mean, I've seen it happen through ADRA uh, ministries. Yes. I've seen it done through Bible study ministries. I've seen it done, you know, it's through evangelistic ministry. Uh, the point is, the people on every occasion have to be outward focused. And this is the key. Um, you know, I believe Jesus' mission statement was that he came to seek and save the lost. Yeah. And so if a church only has a focus, and by church we're saying, because a church is really the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If a church only has an inward focus of what they do and putting on programs one day a week for their own benefit and all their energy going into that with little focus on the community, they will die. If a church doesn't have a spirit of love and warmth with each other, it will probably die. Uh, just a couple of quotes that I got while I was in America, just listening to some pastors and presentations. Uh, here's one here, Gary. We need to focus on catching fish, not only caring for aquariums. So as Christians, if all we're focused on is the aquarium, the fishbowl, yeah. instead of seeking new fish, then mm. that's a problem. Uh, and and some of the other things I've noticed, um, particularly during the pandemic and if I dare say post-pandemic, because maybe we're not post-pandemic, mm. but um, some of s the small rural churches, and, and I know this is not only the case in South Australia, I know that many people have left Melbourne, for instance, and probably, and definitely Sydney as well, to go to the central coast of New South Wales. People are moving out. Some people are of the big cities. And so what that does uh, is it can revitalize, if you have a small group, it can revitalize that, that small group of believers with a, a mass body, if you like. Yeah. The other thing is I think the times in which we live and the messages and what is happening in the world, which is quite unprecedented, at least yeah. in this generation, yeah. Yeah. Uh, some people are coming back to God. Yeah. They're questioning where is the world headed. 
And so even churches and, and you know, I can think of a number of churches in South Australia which would be replicated across the country. Uh, a number of churches in South Australia that, you know, maybe quite elderly people and I was speaking to someone yesterday and um, here is a family of six that has arrived into a church of about 30 and four young children and fully engaged and that sort of momentum and there's a couple of other contacts coming to that church, people from the community, some of that sort of momentum can actually transform a church and um, I was talking to this lady and she's an elderly lady and um, you know a white haired lady, wonderful Christian lady and she said to me, you know, here is this young man, 16-year-old, that every single Saturday mm-hmm. at church, he'll come up to her and put his arm around her and welcome her and and uh, look up to her and her to him. And mm-hmm. when a church has this care for one another, that leads to and, and an outward focus uh, and a church that is seeking to connect with the community, as you said, mm-hmm. And if a church prays, and this particular church has a regular prayer meeting every week, then things happen. Yeah, yeah. No, look, I appreciate what you're actually saying there, David, because uh, to me, you know, while I appreciate what certainly what the Church of Scotland is uh, uh, is attempting to do, uh, my my own view is that uh, there is a place for. Uh, I mean, we hear a great deal these days about church church planting, uh, but you know, to me, more and more, I, I'm convinced uh, that uh, the missing dynamic at the present time is the issue of church revitalization, uh, because myself, uh, I believe it. Can can actually be done, and to me, uh, if I had a passion in, in any area or all, all, it would actually be the, this area for you know church revitalization for churches that actually uh, were you know run down who are able to. And numerous times in my ministry, I've seen the blessing of having churches uh, that have been run down, and uh, uh, the numbers the numbers they grow both physically and they grow spiritually. And, and you know, David, one of the things that I, I'm so conscious of, and doing that uh, to me I personally don't think it's actually a lot of rocket science involved in this uh, because uh, uh, you know when you uh, preach the word um, when you uh, when you pre when you do what churches have actually been called to do, you know, to me sometimes I've heard, uh, and I know I'm getting on a little bit of a hobby horse here, you know, sometimes we I hear that, you know, churches need to become contemporary. I'm not convinced on that at all. No. Um, because, um, you know, are there uh, different ways of doing evangelism? Of course there are. Uh, but uh, do I need to uh, replicate what's in my big wide world in order to be a church? No, I don't. Uh, in fact, when I do that, what I've discovered is that uh, numbers tend to, to drop uh, rather than increase. Yeah, so a couple of things I hear, Gary. One, you're putting your hand up to be a church revitalization uh, person. So we'll I'm have, retiring, David. I'd, well, remind, I'd remind you, David, I'm just down the road from retirement. Uh, we'll, you'll recall that, won't you? Wherever you are in Australia, if you, you attend a church that needs someone that has done this many times before, um, send a message well, into... It's wonderful retirement, David. It really is exciting. Send a message in. The other thing I think you've said there, Gary, uh, is it's not whether it's contemporary or not contemporary. It has to be built on the Word of God. Yeah. yeah. It has to be a church that is connect, pow, empowered by the Holy Spirit through a life of prayer. Indeed. And a willingness to be relevant in the community by, through building relationships, 
through meeting some needs, whatever that may be, yeah. but solidly preaching the word of God. If that's not preached, then it doesn't matter uh, what life comes into the church, it won't survive. Yeah. And when you combine that with passionate people who are going to welcome uh, visitors who come, you know, one of the things I'm so thankful for at uh, my particular church is I can actually name a small group of people who will greet people with a, with a I shouldn't say a hug in this day and age, should I? I mean, that's bad. Uh, but they greet each other warmly. Normally, uh, and that is that is so powerful, you know, David. Uh, when I when I see uh, people doing that, I know that church is going to grow. So, Gary, I know you want to move on. I'm going to finish with an African proverb. You've talked about a church that loves and cares for people in itself, a united church. An African proverb is this: a united flock makes the lion sleep hungry. So, a, a flock that's united makes the lion sleep hungry, and mm. really. The Bible describes Satan as a lion going around seeking who it will devour. Yeah, yeah. As Christians, we need to be united in our in our congregations. We need to have love. And when that happens, there is little room for Satan to come in. In fact, other people will want to come. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree totally with what you're saying. We do need to move on. But, folks, look, if you've got any thoughts on uh, on that discussion, uh, look, please feel free to text us 04888. 80811 04888808811 we'd love to have your uh, your feedback please enjoy michael card this is uh, a beautiful song el shaddai El Shaddai, El Elyonah Adonai Age to age you're still the same By the power of the name El Shaddai, El Shaddai Erechim Kana Adonai We will praise and lift you high El Shaddai Through your love and through the ram You saved the son of Abraham And by the power of your hand Turn the sea into dry land To the outcast on her knees Die, El Shaddai, El Elyonah 
Messiah ought to be. Though your word contained the plan, they just could not understand that your most awesome work was done through the frailty of your Son. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, And the song El Shaddai. Love, uh, love that uh, that particular rendition. Uh, now, look, folks, we do have a uh, a free gift for you today. The uh, gift is uh, uh, a little book again, uh, The Prodigal Father. This is by David Marshall. And now, this is uh, stories of God's prodigal grace. The Bible has many prodigal sons and daughters, but only one prodigal father. The focal picture of God's revelation of Himself through Scripture is a father in Jesus' stories. It's the father uh, where there is no unchristlikeness at all. Do you know so many people see in the Father, uh, they don't see what they see in Jesus Christ but that's such an unscriptural picture of the Father. What we're trying to talk about this week is the scriptural picture of the Father as we see him in the parables uh, that Jesus told. It's such a powerful uh, powerful stories that Jesus uh, where Jesus revealed uh, what his Father uh, was really like. Uh, the book is The Prodigal Father, and uh, if you'd like your own copy, you can have that just by texting us here at the studio. That number is 04 888 80811 and the code is SA67. Now no gap between the SA and the 67 just SA67 and that'll trigger trigger our friend the robot and uh, he'll contact you, uh, get some uh, information off you so that we can get this book to you in the fastest way possible. Uh, it's a fantastic little book. The Prodigal Father SA67 is the uh, uh, is the code and uh, we've uh, we've got uh, uh, that Number again is 0488 Folks, uh, welcome to uh, uh, 
Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary. Today our co-host is uh, Pastor David Butcher and David's the uh, um, Chief Pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. Uh, and this week we're looking at the theme, Radical Teachings in the Parables of Christ. And today we're speaking about the parable of the forgiving God. Sometimes it's called the parable of the unmerciful debtor. But this week we want to concentrate on what is God really like? What's the character of God like? How does the scripture reveal uh, the Father? Uh, is he unlike Christ or is he similar to Christ? Look, we're going to come to a, uh, to a parable and this is a, a parable that's actually found in uh, Matthew chapter chapter 18 and uh, Christ shares this, uh, this particular parable and um, uh, let, me, let me read it to, uh, uh, to you. <clears throat> and then Peter uh, came to Christ and said, Lord, uh, how often shall I forgive my uh, brother if he sin against me? Up to seven times? Uh, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven. And then comes the parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he'd begun to settle accounts, a one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and with his children and with all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, Master, have patience, have patience with me, and I'll pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him that debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. They laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me, pay me what you owe. And the fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but he went out and threw him in prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. They came and told the master all that had been done. Then the master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father will also do to each of you, if from his heart he does not forgive his brother his mistakes. Now, uh, David, uh, this parable, you know, so often we, we look at this as a, a parable of incredible forgiveness, and indeed that's exactly what it is, and we're going to uh, deal with that particular issue. But the thing that stands out to me in this parable is this incredible love uh, that the Father has, how the giving nature of the Father. This is the Father Jesus is referring to. But look, take us through this parable, if you would. I mean, uh, Let's start. Let's start right at the beginning because Peter comes to uh, uh, to uh, to Christ with a really interesting question. A question that, uh, to me, you know, I mean, might bamboozle us in the day and age in which we live. But what's really going on here? Yeah. Look. Thanks, Gary. So, so 
Verse 21 says, as you've already read, uh, Peter comes to Jesus or says to Jesus and comes to him, how many times shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Now, I believe this is really linked to verse 1, not just 21, but verse 1 of the same chapter. And in verse 1, we read, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So there is this jockeying for or vying for position, if you like, amongst the 12. They're expecting an earthly kingdom. Uh, they're wanting to be uh, the highest officials. And perhaps here in verse 21, after that introduction of verse 1, in verse 21, Peter wanting to be the front runner, Peter wanting to maybe maximize his own credentials, uh, comes to Jesus uh, because he believes Jesus' kingdom will soon be established. And he asks that question, how many times should I forgive a fellow believer, a, a member of the church, if you like? But then he doesn't wait for Jesus to respond. Mm. You know, uh, because he why? loves to jump in, doesn't he? He loves, and 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 I love Peter because we often give him a hard time, but we would be no better, right? So he asked Jesus this question: How many times should I forgive a fellow believer, a member in the church? And not waiting for Jesus to respond, he says, "Should I forgive my fellow believer seven times?" Now I don't know about you; it doesn't seem like much, does it? Seven times. Well, to me, it depends what the offence well, is. Well, this is true. This is very true. But, but I mean, if it's something fairly trifling, trifle, mm-hmm. it, it's, it, it's really not a great deal of many times. But in the culture of the day, the Jewish rabbis believed in forgiving someone three times. So you can see where Peter's headed in his mind, can't you? Oh, he's, yeah, he's a generous man. He's, and, well, he's more than generous, right? So three times the Jewish rabbis, and they're good, right? They're respected yeah, 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 yeah. people. Peter's saying, well, and the reason why he jumps in to answer the question, he's trying to sell his credentials. So he says six times, to- he doesn't say six times, he says seven. The Jewish rabbis were three, so he doubles it. Yeah. And then one for good measure. Yeah. Yeah. So Peter must be so uh, full of his own grandeur and his own generosity and forgiveness and mercy when he says, should it be seven times? Mm. And there's pride, I believe, there. Mm. But then Jesus sort of um, stuns him. He absolutely stuns him in verse 22. And Jesus says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. In other words, Jesus is saying um, 70 times 7 is 490. Yeah, yeah. Now, I don't know about you, occasionally we'll keep records of, of when we've been wronged. You know, maybe, you know, might, we might say, I remember last week you did the same thing yeah. or you've done, you do this all the time or you've, you do this every two weeks or something. But I don't know anyone that's kept records of a wrong and actually marked them down 490 times. It's a remarkable number, isn't it? You know, I mean, Christ just, you know, picks something up here. And in fact, you know, because it's 70 times 7, I mean, this is a, a response where basically he's saying, hey, keep on forgiving. Exactly. And, and I think really what Jesus is saying here is forgiveness, true forgiveness is limitless. True forgiveness has no limits. And yeah. I can just picture uh, Peter at this point with a media advisor, his own media advisor, pulling his f- uh, trying to extricate Peter's foot out of his mouth mm. because Peter is setting himself up above the other 11 perhaps. This is good seven times and bang, he's flawed. He does not understand the forgiveness of the Father. And I think that's a key problem within Christianity 
but also in society. You know, yeah. people will look at Jesus as as a good man, uh, a, a man of um, that had some good social values, perhaps moral values. Uh, he was good, but the father. No, he's a man that's crotchety and cranky and uh, the white hair and and a big stick, just setting traps for people so that when they overstep, bang, come down on them like a ton of bricks. And yet Jesus says to Philip in, in John 14, he says, if you've seen me, you've actually seen the Father. So one of the reasons Jesus came, he came to die for humanity, but he also came to reveal the truth about who the Father is. Because Mm -hmm. Satan says, hey, Lucifer in heaven, uh, you can't trust God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, this is real. I like what you're going, but our time is running away from us. Let's come to the parable because here Christ says something that actually uh, it says a great deal about the subject of repentance, and we do need to deal with that. But look, it's this issue of the Father that, to me, I I, I really want us to open out today. Okay, so let's go to verses 24 to 27 of the parable, and Jesus tells this parable in response to when he says, you need to forgive someone up to 470 times 7. Uh, Jesus then says, uh, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children all that he had and that repayment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him and saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him his debt. Now, this is really interesting. This man owes him 10,000 talents. Mm, That's a lot of money. How much is that? Okay, yeah, really good, Gary. Really good question. So 10,000, let's look at it this way. In uh, biblical times, a denarius was a day's wages. Mm -hmm. One, One talent... Now, this man owed how many talents? 10,000. 10,000. One talent was equivalent to 6,000 denarii wow. or 6,000 days wages. One talent. One talent was equivalent to 6,000 days wages. One talent. This man owes 10,000 talents. Get now, your calculator is, out. So let's get the calculator out. This man owes the king 60 million Days labor, sixty million days labor. Now, wouldn't you wouldn't you like to have um, have back pay for that, right? Sixty million days labor. Now, let's put that into something realistic, if we can. This first servant's debt to the king, and we've got to remember who the king is. It's the Father in heaven. Father in heaven. This man owed the king one hundred and sixty-four thousand three hundred and eighty-four years debt. Wow. 164,384 years worth of debt. How do you get into that much debt? I mean, this is a, this is a ludicrous amount of debt that Christ is. I mean, I mean, for the average, you know, you and me, you know, I mean, we, we take out a couple hundred thousand dollars on our, uh, on our, well, maybe a little bit more on our, on our houses. Uh, we pay off our house, but that's probably the biggest loan we've ever had. But how do you get into debt to this extent? Well, our bank loans for homes about 30 years, right? You know, you imagine trying to get a loan for 164,300 four years. Yeah. Very good question. And and um, we've got to remember with parables, right, you can't push every yeah, yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, but clearly this man was in a position of trust. Mm. He had the utmost, utmost trust of the king. He obviously had squandered so much money. He'd betrayed the trust of the king. Um, and so when the king wants to bring everything in order and he's recalling his debts and seeing who owes what, he brings this man in and he basically says, look, this guy's got to be sold off for his wife and his kids until the debt's paid. Mm-hmm. And the man 
Um, the man, the wording, let's find the wording. I think it's verse 26 or 27. Uh, it says here, verse 26, Master, he falls down before the king, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Mm. Have patience with me and I will pay you all. How can someone who might live to 100 years, and back then probably they didn't even live that long, yeah. how can someone who would live no more than 100 years think they can repay all? Yeah. What does that tell us about this first servant's concept of their sin or yeah, their debt, if yeah, you like? Yeah. They're really minimalizing it, aren't they? They're minimalizing it. And, and not only that, they think that if they work harder or come up with a better scheme, they'll be able to repay it. And if ever there's a, a case for understanding uh, the passage in Ephesians that says, for by grace are you, as you say, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. If ever there's a case for understanding that particular passage, then this is surely it. Because... Yeah. Uh, This is crazy. You know, give me more time and I'll be able to pay. So he doesn't realize his own indebtedness. He doesn't realize his own sin. He thinks he can get out of it. He just wants more time. Yeah. More time doesn't fix 164,384 years of debt. Yeah. He needs another 164,000 lives. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the king, though, is moved with compassion cancels the debt and forgives this worthless servant. Can you imagine the weight lifted off this man, off his shoulders? And he goes out of the palace. He's got a spring in his step. The best day of his life has happened. He can't wait to get home to tell his wife and kids of how wonderful uh, this has been because he's been living with a weight around his neck. It's gone. The absolute generosity of the king to, to to give the the servant that sort of release, you know, you sort of say, "Hey, the forgiveness of debt. This is a massive debt, and the and the and the master is is happy to give to wipe it clean. To wipe it, you know. To me, that says something to me about the character of God, and it says something about how much." He wants us saved. You know, to me, this is a beautiful picture. But, David, look, we need to come to some uh, some music. Let's come to some some music. And before we come back to this, uh, let's, ha- let's have a, a song here. Love this uh, particular song. This is Champion of Love by uh, Fountain View Academy. Uh, please, uh, please enjoy uh, Champion of Love. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention? I want to introduce to you In this corner of the good and the right Stands a champion robed in white His height exceeds the heavens, his weight outweighs the world his reach reaches everywhere, his age is evermore. He is higher than the highest, greater than the great. No one will ever take his power away. He is mightier than the mightiest, he reigns from Champion of love He 
left his hometown to enter this arena to raise his hands in victory for me. An angry crowd crucified this king who wore their crown, and they gladly watched their champion going down. Oh, but I will never count him out, for I'm a witness of the day you rose to retain the title. Fountainview Academy, and they're singing uh, Champion of uh, Love. I love uh, the words of that uh, that particular song. Uh, it really does reflect what the Father is all about, uh, the Father's father's love. So uh, so absolutely amazing. Uh, look, folks, uh, we do want to uh, say a big hello, firstly, uh, to our good friend Suzanne. And, uh, Suzanne, thank you for the comments that you've uh, given uh, given to us uh, on that uh, discussion that we had early in our program. Uh, Suzanne says, I agree. Members that put God's first, others second, and themselves last will find a church, a safe, caring, and an uplifting place. Uh, amen and amen. And, Suzanne, thank you so much for that uh, comment. I really appreciate that uh, that feedback. And now, of course, we do have a giveaway book uh, once for you uh, uh, today as well. Uh, that's uh, The Prodigal Father, Stories of God's uh, Prodigal Grace, uh, The Army. Uh, the, the Bible has many uh, prodigal sons and daughters, but only one prodigal father. And uh, that's what this book is uh, is talking about. This is a sort of book that uh, you might really appreciate in your morning devotional time. Uh, you'll appreciate being able to uh, to dig into what the Word of God says about the about the Father. If you'd like a copy of uh, the Prodigal Father, then you can text us here at our studio text number oh four triple eight. 80811 04888811 and uh, all you need to do is to use the uh, the code uh, which uh, for today is um, uh, SA67 uh, just SA67 and that'll trigger our robot and uh, he'll contact you and uh, get some information off you so that we can get this book to you in the fastest uh, possible manner uh, the book is The Prodigal Father the code is SA67 and that phone number is 04888 Eight oh eight eleven. 
Now, you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary. And today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher. And David is the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in uh, South uh, South Oz. And this week we're looking at the theme, Radical Teachings and the Parables of Christ. We're looking at how the Father uh, is portrayed by Christ in these parables. Today we're looking at the parable of the forgiving God, uh, sometimes called the parable of the unmerciful merciful debtor um, I really appreciate David what it is you've been sharing how you've been sharing it it paints a picture of God that uh, so, you know I, I think of so many cathedrals that have got pictures of God as being a very aloof God but what this is saying to me is that we've actually got a picture of God being painted where God can be as close to us the father can be as close to us as Jesus can and we all owe a debt we cannot repay, don't we? So yeah, yeah. we join this story again. First servant forgiven 164,384 years worth of debt by a God, by, by a king who is so compassionate. He leaves the palace, if you like, and he goes out to start afresh. He goes out to, to, to start new, if you like. And verses 28 to 30 of Matthew 18 say this, but, the, the, but that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into the prison till he should repay his debt. So here we have a story. This this man who's been forgiven goes out and uh, instead of having this compassionate spirit that he's just been shown, goes out, finds someone who owes him a hundred denarii, three and a, hun- three and a half months wages. Three and a half months. A hundred days. Amazing. And it's interesting. He demands the debt, grabs him by the throat. I mean, the guy is so disconnected with what's just happened to him. Yeah. Grabs this man, obviously of a lower status, if you like, by the throat, demands it. The man falls at his feet and he, he, he pleads exactly what the first servant had pled. He says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Mm. The exact same words that the first servant who owed all that money to the king. But there is no compassion here. Mm. Instead, this forgiven servant throws the servant that only owes three and a half months' wages into the prison until he can repay. Mm. Now, we know in the story that the that there are servants watching what this forgiven servant, 164,384 years' worth, has, has done to someone that owes three and a half months' wages. Mm. And those servants go back to the king, and they tell the king who forgave so much what has happened. And then it says in verse 32, Then his master, after, had, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Mm-hmm. Now this tells us we should go to God and we should plead for forgiveness, correct? Mm-hmm. And then the king says, Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant as I had pity on you? Mm. Now I'm going to stop there. The rest of the story finishes with God saying, uh, with the, the king saying, um, you know, he would be thrown in prison, etc., until he could repay, which obviously wasn't going to happen. Mm. Jesus says, "So my heavenly Father also will do to you, if each of you, from his heart, does not forgive his brother his trespasses." Here, the King is saying, "We should have compassion on our fellow servants, the same level of compassion that he has with us." So, what's all this about, Gary? Um, 
we need to first appreciate our own indebtedness to God, mm. and we don't. Instead, we focus so much on how we've been wronged by other people. Yeah. We're always looking for someone to blame. We're looking at others and what they've done to us, and and we expect uh, remedy. Mm. Mm. In fact, Dave, if you think about it, calls for justice are everywhere in this world. You know, we just talked about this. We've just had a Bible uh, marking class over at uh, my church at Brighton just in the last little while, uh, just just last this last Monday night, actually. And the thing we were talking about is the issue of justice uh, in the context of the millennium. And uh, uh, we talked about how in this world we've got people crying out for justice and yet how in the uh, in a future time ultimate justice is going to be delivered by Jesus himself and you know David one of the things I'm conscious of in, from what you're saying there is that in the Sermon on the Mount Christ actually taught his disciples a thing that we call today the uh, the Lord's Prayer it's, yeah, it's well true. known and uh, you know Jesus actually taught us to pray to the Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts to the same extent as we forgive our debtors. You know, David, this is incredibly challenging to me because what we've got here is Christ. Now, you know, some people see Christ as being the, you know, the, the, the loving, and, the, the, yep. the soft. But Christ is teaching his disciples to pray the thing called the Lord's Prayer. And part of that Lord's Prayer is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So we're forgiven as we forgive. This this can be a bit of a challenging thought. Mm. Absolutely. If we have a spirit of unforgiveness like this servant that owed so much, yeah. then we are not forgiven. And then, Gary, just looking at uh, tying off this parable, and you are so right in what you share there, we're forgiven as we forgive others, a forgiving spirit. Um, so I want to challenge our listeners, if, if we've been hurt, if you've been hurt, how can you then forgive? And we need to acknowledge that there are different sins, correct? And yeah, yeah, forgiveness yeah. is a process. Yeah. Uh, it's really handing over to God uh, for God to handle it. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean to say people have to be accepted back into the fold, but it's it's really saying, God, I'm giving this to you to, to deal with, to process. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to suggest that instead of focusing on the pain and suffering that has been inflicted upon us, as we so often do, um, this parable challenges us to instead reflect on the pain and the suffering which we've inflicted upon God mm. through our own actions, mm. through mm. our own wrong. 164,384 yeah. yeah. years worth of wrong. The contrasting levels of debt owed by the servants highlights this crucial point. Um, and essentially... The wrong that can be inflicted upon us by a fellow believer, someone else, is insignificant when compared to the wrong that we have inflicted upon God. So yeah. when we feel wronged, hard done by, instead of looking at that relationship with us and another believer, if you like, as we often do, mm. and we get really on our high hobby horse about it, we need to, instead of having that horizontal approach, we need to have a vertical approach and think, hang on a minute, this person who has wronged me has only wronged me three and a half months' wages, a hundred denarii. Yeah. And we need to say, well, hang on a minute. We have wronged God 10,000 talents worth of debt. Get it in perspective. Yeah. We are that servant 
in the parable who's been forgiven 164,384 yeah. years worth of debt. Yeah. And so when someone else wrongs us, they've wronged us three and a half. And you know, worth. David, I think that what the message, the takeaway message for me on on all of this is that you know, so many families I'm I'm conscious of, you know, that at Christmas time they'll sit down together, and yet there's an uneasy tension there between the family, uh, simply because you know one person uh, is still struggling with something that somebody else, you know, Great Uncle Fred did at Christmas time uh, back 25 years ago. You know, forgiveness has never actually been given, and yet to me, what I think Christ is actually saying here is hey look you know uh, just as I am generous to forgive you I want you to be equally generous to forgive others David look I'm we must finish but look I'm just wondering how would you like to pray uh, for uh, maybe our our listeners maybe if there's somebody who's struggling with this issue of acceptance by the father would you would you just pray particularly for that person? Absolutely. Father in heaven, uh, we want to thank you for the picture that Jesus gives of the Father in Matthew 18 and throughout the Gospels and throughout Scripture. We serve a God who is only too willing to forgive. And Lord, um, you tell us in Ephesians 4 verse 32 be, that to be gentle with one another, sensitive, forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. And so, Lord, uh, there are people listening who have been wronged, who have had deep wounds inflicted upon them, Lord. And it is a process. It is not instantaneous. And, uh, Lord, we know true justice will ultimately happen at uh, the time of your return. But, Father, I pray in the meantime that we'll be able to hand that pain over, hand that wrong over to you. They will also have a perspective, Lord, that we are that servant who's been forgiven that 164,384 years worth of debt. Lord, give us that, that perspective. You're a loving Father. You're a God who is only too willing to forgive. You just want us to come to you. But Lord, help us to understand and have that same level of compassion that you had for that servant, that once we have been forgiven that we'll go out and, and show forgiveness to others. Lord, I pray that you'll heal the hurt in people's heart. May they come to the foot of the cross. And it's only when we realize the depth of our own sin that we understand a greater level of your forgiveness for us. Father, bring healing, bring repentance, bring confession, and may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, folks, thank you so much. It does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time. Big Q&A. Uh, please join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Pastor Hugh Heenan will look at uh, another radical teachings in the parables of Christ. Uh, they're going to be looking at uh, the parable of radical investment. Uh, now, that uh, that is such an important subject today. Really look forward to being with you then. But until then, please remember, Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give. Isn't like the peace the world gives? So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. 